Welcome to Inside Exchange, presented by LEK Consulting, a global strategy consultancy that helps business leaders seize competitive advantage and amplify growth. Inside Exchange is our forum dedicated to the free, open, and unbiased exchange of the insights and ideas that are driving business into the future. We exchange insights with the brightest minds of the day, the most daring innovators, and the doers who are right now rebuilding the world around us. Defining an effective sustainability strategy is the new key to corporate success. Join the LEK Sustainability Center of Excellence team for a Q&A session to learn about the findings from LEK's Global Corporate Sustainability Survey. Discover how placing sustainability at the heart of strategy and ensuring that leadership is aligned behind your sustainability vision could be the secret to long-term growth for your organization. From a previously recorded webinar, hear from John, Catherine, and David as they discuss the survey results and answer attendee questions. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to LEK's webinar entitled Unlocking Corporate Success Through Sustainability. Ideas on this webinar or this topic on sustainability or even other topics are also welcome. That channel is open and we'd love to hear from you um, and hear from your ideas. We hear, of course, from LEK Consulting, a global strategy consultancy helping organizations around the world and across the economy navigate some of their most profound challenges and achieve their highest aspirations. We have over 1,600 people on our team globally, working in 20 offices around the world. Our Sustainability Center of Excellence was founded in response to the ever-growing list of business leaders we work for, um, for whom sustainability is becoming more and more of a central uh, element of their strategy. Uh, this presents challenges. This presents opportunities. We'll talk about some of those in a lot more detail as we go. Um, and more and more of the business leaders that we're interacting with at LEK are framing their business issues in terms of the environmental, social, and human impact issues uh, that we're all hearing more and more about. I'm David Titus. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for LEK's European Business, uh, and it is my pleasure to introduce the two colleagues uh, that we will be speaking with today. Catherine Robertson Arabola is a manager in our Sustainability Center of Excellence at LEK, as well as active in our industrials practice. Her background is in environmental and climate change issues, um, and in particular within a private equity and investor setting. Catherine has worked for a major global private equity firm on sustainability-related investments, and she has board-level experience with an energy services firm and a global environmental consultancy. So practical recent experience for sure. Catherine, welcome. It's a pleasure to see you as always. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Great. Um, and we also have John Goddard. John is a senior partner and vice chair of sustainability at LEK. Uh, John has advised at a board level across Europe and the United States for over 25 years. Uh, he established LEK's Global Sustainability Center of Excellence in 2021, and he's one of the firm's most experienced partners when it comes to advising organizations, both funds and corporate, uh, when it comes to their merger and acquisition uh, aspirations. John, Always a pleasure, good to see you on. Great to be here as well, David, thank you. Uh, good, uh, well, great. So why are we here? Uh, we at LEK and the Sustainability uh, Center of Excellence recently conducted uh, a comprehensive survey of 400 executives uh, around the world. Uh, the sample includes a significant portion of, uh, of CEOs and C-suite 
um, respondents uh, and also includes uh, a whole suite of decision of senior level decision makers, including many of those that have sustainability in their title. I suspect that there might be some of you viewing today who are in such roles. So it'd be uh, great to engage with you as we go. Um, our aim was to get a deeper understanding of how executives in these positions are considering sustainability issues in a corporate context um, at the highest level. Um, so with that quick overview of what our survey uh, uh, set out to do, um, John, if I can start with you, what was the impetus for conducting the survey in the first place? W what was it that we were after that maybe we weren't seeing elsewhere um, in, in the discussion on sustainability in a business context? No, David, I think it's a really important question. I mean, the way we saw things is that coming out of uh, COP26, we, we all got the clear, um, the clear impression that the private sector is really moving quite quickly, quite aggressively in terms of making commitments as they pertain to sustainability. And in fact, 60% of the FTSE 100 have made net, net zero commitments. Um, two thirds of S&P 500 have also made emissions reductions commitments. And I think about 720 of the world's largest companies um, have also done so. However, as you sort of dig into it, um, commitments are one thing, but what about the targets? What about the, the plans to make this happening? And when you dig into that, it's a much more patchy situation. So you take those 60 in the UK or UK listed, only 20 of those have uh, signed up for science-based targets. Science-based targets being really the gold standard of accreditation when it comes to, to emissions. So people are committed, but there seems to be something holding them back from really getting those implementation plans and midterm targets in place. So we wanted to understand that. And that's why we, we decided to undertake this research, which, as you said, in addition to the 400, we had eight in-depth discussions with global leaders. And uh, the insights for those are summarized in the report, but will be coming out uh, over the next few weeks as well. And they make fascinating reading. Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, and I should point out too that you know the we covered multiple sectors: transport, industrials, consumer, and healthcare. Uh, we covered multiple geographies. So in the U.S., uh, the sample comes from the U.S., uh, Western Europe, Australia, and China. So we really did our best to cover uh, really most of the markets that we at LEK um, are quite active in. Um, now, when when I read the results and have gone through it in some detail. And Catherine, you and John have been very helpful in kind of going through uh, with me some of the findings. Um, I have to say, I was left feeling a bit more positive than I thought I might be. So notwithstanding, John, you made the point that it's, it's a bit patchy and there's some variability. Um, but 71% of respondents said that their organizations viewed sustainability as a source of growth or innovation. Um, and that seemed fairly high. Is it is it fair for someone like me to be somewhat optimistic about this value creation story that seems to be emerging? Well, I, I think you can. I mean, I think you have to unpack it. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, about 50% of the people that we spoke to recognized that they felt that their organization uh, was treating sustainability as a growth opportunity. And then, as you said, an additional 21%, I think it was, uh, identified even further as a potential innovation opportunity. Um, clearly, there are, there are things underneath that, and we'll go into that in the discussion today. I think it was only about 4% we put into that minimalist bucket, those people that really saw it as just a, a, a compliance exercise. And I think that's yeah. a very positive outcome from the research. 
yeah, I think the the, the results say that it's just it's a it's a low single digit portion of organizations that are basically saying today we're only going to do the minimum of what's required. Right. Where I mean, I would have thought that that might have been higher. So that's one of the sources of uh, reason why I felt uh, optimistic. Um, Catherine, turning to you and thinking of your recent experience coming from private equity, um, what's the growth and innovation story from an investor standpoint? What are people who are looking to invest um, uh, seeing in terms of, uh, of where they can get good returns regarding sustainability? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a really interesting question. And I think similarly to what you were saying, John, about corporates and this journey that they've been on clearly, um, from kind of the risk compliance focused perspective towards more of that growth innovation mindset. I think we've seen a similar thing within private equity too, both from kind of the client conversations that we're having and also what I saw when I was working within the industry. It's not just a tick box or risk management exercise anymore. It's much more where can we invest behind green growth themes or actually kind of sustainable transformation. So I think Within PE, I would say there's sort of three broad areas by which people are thinking about sustainability as that growth point. First of all, if you think about actually access to capital in the first place, you're seeing a lot more funds that are aligning more to um, kind of European regulations, having to promote an E or S goals, competing for LP money that is actually focusing on these things too, or creating separate impact funds, for example. Then I think, too, you have this thematic angle where you might be investing in fast growth subsectors or products. So, for example, alternative meat products or sustainability tech platforms. And then finally, I think you have a piece that's around transformation. So how do you take your investments, take them on a sustainability journey, improve their performance? And what kind of value might you be able to, to obtain from that? So there's a lot of interesting discussions going on at the moment, and I think P can definitely be a very interesting driver of, of the sustainability agenda mm -hmm. going forwards. Thanks, Catherine. And, and just to follow up on kind of some of the range of things that you've described that companies might be thinking about, you talk about kind of um, um, uh, synthetic meat and, and meat alternatives and organizational design. I guess I'm thinking about the, the breakdown that John described of 21% looking more specifically at innovation when it comes to sustainability um, and 50% looking at growth. Are, are, are some examples of innovation versus growth kind of in that list you've included and how would you kind of consider uh, sustainability as a, you know, a simple growth driver versus something that is really mm -hmm. innovative and de novo technologically? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think, so personally, I would probably categorize investing behind high growth green sectors as a growth agenda. It's okay. quite quite closely tied to where is growth coming from? How does that align with sustainability? Where is there a kind of lockstep model, if you like? Yeah. And then I think some of the innovative thinking is around either the, the structure of the fund in terms of what exactly you're looking to invest behind and how does sustainability form an integral part of that? So I've seen a few uh, new funds coming out that are focusing more on kind of taking companies on a transformation journey brown to green so not necessarily just impact or just kind of green sustainable things but actually more about that journey so that that for me would fall more into that innovation mm -hmm. category where you're actually looking to 
go beyond what is the simple growth opportunity and trying to do something new in terms of um, progressing companies on that journey and, and capturing value from it. Um, interesting to think about that from an investor standpoint, I guess for both of you, Catherine, just because you have recent experience on the fund side of things. And John, as we mentioned at the front, you've done loads of advising on, on M&A. What are some things that corporate leaders can learn uh, from the approach private equity is taking in terms of sustainability? Well, um, I, I, I'm not sure it's just necessarily what they can learn from private equity. I think it's just a, having clarity of purpose, a clear vision, clear set of goals, and having and 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 you know one of the things that we 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 found uh, from the research was that the single biggest barrier that organizations uh, came up against, which remember this was the purpose of the survey to try and identify where the barriers were, related to alignment. So alignment mm -hmm. across the board and alignment at the C-suite. And getting that alignment was seen as really important. And those companies that were struggling were those companies that was, were also struggling to get that alignment. So I think the first thing to do is to get aligned as a senior mm -hmm. team, the chair, and the CEO absolutely need to be on board here. If they're not, if they're not kind of with the program, then the program isn't really going to happen. So once they're on board, um, I think it's it's really about having a very clear vision, clear set of goals, and then that should drive your strategic choices. And I think that's really important to get to get get the right momentum. And I suppose coming back to your private equity point, uh, perhaps sometimes when you know that the investment's there, perhaps it's going to be there for as an owner for five, six years, perhaps seven at the most. There is perhaps a sense of urgency and a sense of purpose that absolutely mm -hmm. requires a very crystal clear and crisp articulation of the way forward. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's just very hard to prioritize what are your priority, high growth, sustainable themes or sectors if you don't have that initial vision, right? Like what kind of fund do you want to be? Um, what kind of companies do you want to help grow? So I think I think that's that's definitely true. And, and the alignment point is is critical. Yeah, well, let's focus on that alignment point because it, it was one of the headline findings of, of the survey um, in as much as we talked about the 71% that are looking at sustainability as a source of growth, as a source of innovation. So there's this willingness but alignment is one of the areas where it seems, according to the survey, is where there's a, a, an issue with the readiness um, and the ability. And John, you mentioned you know, making sure that the chief exec and that the board, that they're aligned. What is required to, to get that uh, alignment? And I think that, the, the, in, in other words, what is, describe the chasm between that willingness, right, that 71%, and that readiness, because I know a much lower percentage of our respondents um, are saying that their organizations are ready to embark on their aspirations. I think it really starts to begin with with understanding and knowledge and perspective. And, you know, none of us, uh, I certainly didn't, Catherine may have done a little bit, but none of us studied this at university. None, none of us did this for the first half of our careers, right? A few people did, but most of us didn't. So we're kind of learning as we go. Yep. And boards and executive teams are full of very, very smart people, and very smart people always have points of view. That's fair, right? But it needs to be 
framed around the language, the taxonomy, and the understanding of what this ESG, what sustainability really means, and taking it to an, another level, another another level down. So I think it really starts with that knowledge and understanding. Once you've built that knowledge and understanding, you can go through a process, and we do help our clients attain that alignment through interactions with the board, through interactions with the executive team together in order to bring them kind of together on that journey. And that's when you can create that that clear vision and establish those goals. Well, and I it, like that point about, um, sorry, Dave, just going to say on what you said, John, around kind of having the, the clear vision and alignment around also the language, because if sustainability is always talked about in very technical terms that that like you said people haven't actually studied these things um at university it's very difficult to to make everybody be in agreement so i think one thing that we're seeing the need for as well is actually translating this into the language that people speak day to day the business language the strategic language if if it's the board that you're talking to yeah that's 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 where i was going to go um with my point as well i mean the, the there are the are the words but presumably most um informed executives are reading the press and staying up to speed on sustainability issues as they pertain to their particular organization or sector. Um, but it's one thing just to be well read. Um, there's an embedding of, um, uh, uh, of the, the sustainability topics in the context of that company's strategy. Um, and then also a, a cultural one as well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of creating a culture, which I suppose is the arena where the agreement comes into play. You can have people who have the facts but need to agree. What can organizations, particularly between boards and management teams, do to uh, align culturally and chart a course uh, that is, uh, you know, has as, as little friction as possible when it comes to these issues? Why don't I have a go first? Then, Catherine, maybe you can draw on some of your experience. Um, look, I think it's really, really important. I, I, I would slightly look at it as slightly differently in the sense of the one thing that we see, one of the things we see is really more important now than it probably was 10 years ago within employees and organizations is the establishment of a clear, clear purpose and employees wanting much more of a purpose from their organization than perhaps um, some of its experience when we started our careers. So I think purpose is really important. And sustainability fits right into that, right? So you can you can align your purpose with the, you know with your choices around what you want to kind of major from in terms of sustainability. And yes, in general, we we all have to make progress on our emissions. But depending on what sector you're in, that is a very difficult question, or it's a not so difficult question. But then you have the whole S and the G. And within that, if you unpack that around the community, around talents, around diversity, um, around authenticness, around philanthropy, there's a whole set of um, dimensions on which a company can choose to major and emphasize within its own um, organization to, to build out that culture and align it more, more directly with sustainable um, goals. Yeah, I would agree. And I would say that as well, throughout this whole process, it's so important to involve all of the different stakeholders into that into that decision making and kind of the education and getting everybody aligned. Everybody needs to feel involved. So whether that's the employees or the investors and all of these different people, because everyone might have a different view on exactly what the priorities are, exactly what purpose means to them. And so 
bringing everybody along on that journey, I think is is super critical. And that's kind of where we've seen the most success mm -hmm. in terms of implementing from from our clients perspective. Thanks, Catherine, that makes sense. So I guess um, presuming an organization can achieve some semblance of alignment on these things, and it includes the language and 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 the culture and and the stakeholder engagement, Catherine, as, as you pointed out, um, what should they be prioritizing for their action and their investment? I mean, what needs to get done first, second, third, once that alignment barrier is overcome? Well, we can look to the survey. Um, yeah. The highest priority area for action investment from the survey was developing uh, sustainable products and services. So the companies felt that that was the one thing that they really had to get a move on with is ensuring that their products were both sustainable and their services were sustainable. And that may be pivoting their product and service offering. It may be just evolving their product and service offer. It may actually be uh, retrenching from certain uh, products and services. But that was the number one uh, priority that the survey indicated. Okay. Um, and what what additional barriers are there? So let's say that you know alignment is um, is not, not achieved. That's not that you could ever fully achieve alignment, but there are a lot the organization is aligned enough to to take some of these actions. What are some watching briefs on ongoing uh, barriers and additional roadblocks along the way um, that will um, that organizations need to build a capability so that they can nimbly overcome them. And Catherine, maybe I'll turn that question to you. Yeah, definitely. And I think probably if you're thinking about that main priority that John just mentioned around kind of developing those products and services related to sustainability, I think the number one capability there is actually innovation. And, yeah. and it's, you know, obviously a capability that that's core to, to the growth of a business anyway. But I think specifically when it comes to sustainability, often it will require new ways of thinking, new ways of developing um, the, the product or being able to meet customer needs whilst also fulfilling your sustainability objectives. So I think organizations that don't have agile um, capabilities in place to, to, to innovate and to develop mm -hmm. those new products along those Dif differing specifications, I think that that would be a struggle for sure. Okay, so agility is a core capability and an enabler of progress down the sustainability path. Um, definitely, definitely makes sense. I, I know we're going to talk in a few minutes later on about some of the examples that uh, that we've encounters, encountered with some of our own um, clients, but in terms of the um, the the agility capability or um, the ability to develop new products and services as a critical priority. Um, are you seeing or does our survey indicate any sectoral trends um, in terms of readiness to take these initial steps? Where are the gaps the biggest? What sort of what sectoral um, uh, challenges are most prevalent versus which of these sectors are poised to make quicker progress? Well, I think there was a little bit of differentiation here. And not surprising, you you found the travel and transport sector probably feeling more ready, um, followed by the industrial sector. Uh, with um, but I'm going to caveat this with with the healthcare and pharmaceutical feeling less ready. Although what's really interesting today is how much focus 
that sector, the whole life sciences sector, has been yep. placing on um, its supply chain. Uh, yep. So emissions in its supply chain, its water usage, its API waste performance. Yep. Uh, and of course, you know, access to health is a big category within us. So um, I think that the, the, you would expect the transport sector, industrial sector to be slightly ahead of the game because it's so emissions driven. Yep. Um, but with other sectors, uh, you know, following following along, but not following too too far behind. Yeah, yep, definitely. And I think with that emissions piece, if you just think about the the volume and the kind of focus of regulation that has been on on that point, that's also helped explain why some of these sectors that are most impacted by this have had to be on the forefront um, a bit sooner, I think, than other sectors. But like you said, it, it it is coming. And I think you mentioned around the S, those topics I've definitely seen coming up more frequently in client conversations and, and in what investors are thinking about as well in terms of what are the next themes that we need to be focused on. So like you said, it's, it's, it's all kind of coming, uh, everyone's accelerating, um, even those sectors that were perhaps um, not as quick to start thinking about these things. I think a couple of other to-dos, David, uh, you know, going back yeah. to that question you said, so what has to happen here? So visions and goal, you've got your visions and goal. You're going through a process to uh, make strategic choices. And, you know, we've talked about those sort of market and product choices, but then there's a whole set of things internally, um, you know, that, you know, your talent, as um, Catherine's mentioned, your own approach to R&D and innovation, your approach to your brand, how, you know, how do you want to, to, to change how your brand might be perceived? Um, but also then um, we need to measure this. So it's setting the right targets and then mm -hmm. identifying the data. And one mm -hmm. of the things that came through from the survey was organizations say, look, we just, we're really not completely there yet in terms of being able to capture all the data that we need in order to measure our progress. And so that speaks to then defining the right KPIs, putting the right mechanism in place, uh, measuring and reporting it. And particularly as we look to the supply chain, is how do we make that a more automatic and arguably digitalized process? And we see huge opportunities in terms of tech, uh, in terms of engaging the supply chain on an ongoing basis. Because as we like to say, supply chain just got a whole lot more strategic when it came to uh, looking at sustainability performance. So that's one thing. And the, the other thing, and I think it was was another area that people were cluing up to, and I think you're going to mention it in a minute, but I'll, I'll just touch on it now, was remuneration and yep. linking remuneration with uh, performance against those targets, those interim targets that will take you on your journey to achieve those goals. Thanks, John. Is it, Catherine, if I can bring you in on the point that John was just making, because you and I have spent some time talking about um, the requirements to kind of gather really rich information and be very empirical about the approach to all these sustainability initiatives. And I mean, John, to your point, this isn't this isn't kind of a a, a tried and true issue that organizations and individuals have worked through. So it's a new muscle that we're flexing. Um, and not all the data and methodologies are obvious or evident. And Catherine, what are some of the things companies can be thinking about to do a better job of getting the right information, analyzing it in a way that leads to increased certainty and better action? 
Yeah, well, I, I think you've hit on one of the major challenges that there is, right, in, in terms of how do you actually quantify the costs and the yep. benefits of, of implementing some of these different sustainability initiatives. Um, I definitely found that within private equity, it, it was very challenging to think about how do you underwrite certain investment cases when you have so much uncertainty around how customer or investor behavior is going to change with regards, with regards to certain topics. So I think, I mean, there's no sort of bulletproof solution that one size fits all. It, I think it's just the principles of how do you make sure you've captured everything that you're going to need to consider in this decision. So whether that's the financial um, metrics, but also some of these non-financial goals, how much are those worth to the organization? How much of a risk is there not to do certain things? Um, mm -hmm. And then I think just keeping in touch with customers as far as possible in terms of how do we think that they will respond to some of these different initiatives or different products and services that we might be thinking of launching. Because I think building that database of, you know, what is what is sentiment around this? What is willingness to pay if it's a new product or service? Some of that data is going to then start to be helpful in actually quantifying, like we said, some some of the um, some of these potential decisions that you're making. Great. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. John. So, yeah, I know that we, we, we had a kind of interesting question popped up. I don't know if you want to, to cover that. Yeah, off let's go. Up. Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we do that in advance um, of, of the Q and A? So thanks for question um, at the top of the list here asks, can we know more about the survey that you mentioned, right? That forms the basis of our, um, a lot of what we're talking about today. What are the other identified priorities for investments aside from sustainable products and services? So just briefly on the survey, there was 400 executives in the UK, the US, Germany, France, Australia, and China. So each with a balance, and as David said, all markets that we are very, very active in. Um, it was uh, well balanced between privately owned, so mostly privately owned businesses and publicly traded businesses with I think a good quarter over $10 billion of revenue um, and had a, a good cross-section of sectors in the broad buckets of industrials, consumer, uh, life sciences and transportation. Um, and it was conducted um, in the first, first quarter, the end of the first quarter of this year. Um, in terms of other identified priorities for investments aside from sustainable products and services, I just took a look back at some of the data and I'll just, it's all in the report, but I'll just give you some sort of highlights. I would say the second bucket was really around emissions, energy sources, usage and efficiency, which is perhaps not a surprise, but obviously for certain businesses, that's a very significant set of investments to change. Um, and then we get to talent, uh, which again, those of us that are competing along with everybody else for talent know how challenging that is. So talent attraction and development was, if you like, the third bucket. And then you sort of move more into sourcing and usage, usage of, sorry, sourcing and usage, uh, usage of, of, of your resources. So for some people that was waste, for some people that was around uh, supplier uh, engagement, for others it was around um, water and raw materials. But um, so there were different you know, different areas were important for different people, but by far and away, top of the list was uh, sustainable products and services. So, David, I'll hand back to to you to take. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, John, um, for the 
for the throw answer. Um, it's a good segue. And speaking of of the survey, um, having gone through it again, you know, myself and Catherine and John and I have, have talked about it um, in some detail. There are a couple other things that I wanted to highlight um, that stood out, at least to me, that hopefully to the viewers will stand out um, as well. Um, and the first point that I wanted Catherine, you and John to, to comment on is the notion that how many companies or how many respondents to the survey, both publicly traded and privately held companies, reported that they were willing to forego near-term profitability to achieve long-term sustainability uh, ambitions. Um, so I guess, from your view, what are the implications of this? Um, is, this seemed to me to be you know, somewhat profound that especially listed companies saying, we'll, we'll sacrifice short-term profitability to get some of these things done what do organizations need in order to achieve this? I mean, presumably it's some of the things we've talked about, like the fact-based, Catherine, as you mentioned, like alignment, but um, the majority of the respondents are willing to make the short-term trade-off. What What is that going to look like in practical terms? Yeah, and I, and I think it's actually quite an encouraging finding in some ways, because if you think about the investments that are required in some situations to transform the business model or the, or the supply chain in order to, to achieve net zero targets or other kinds of sustainability objectives, you know, you could think, well, obviously, there are going to be short term sacrifices to be made that will only pay off over the long term. So first of all, I think the, the implication for me, I felt like this was a, this was an encouraging finding. But then, yes, when you think about practically, what does that mean? I think definitely, as you touched on, alignment, needing to build a fact base, thinking about, you know, quantifying as best as possible and, and how do you manage the uncertainty over what those long-term payoffs will be, um, I think I think are all very important um, when it comes to thinking about that. Um, and yes, just linking back to the to the board point and making sure that the board is fully on is fully aligned um and that uh, all the incentives are joined up and going in the same direction because i think if if not then then you could imagine that that would be a significant barrier to getting everyone bought in that that actually yes these short term sacrifices are necessary for for this organization thanks catherine um Another finding that I wanted to make sure we touched on while we had everybody here um, was one that John alluded to a little bit earlier, and that's around remuneration and incentives. Um, and uh, the survey points to the need and the potential for, in the fairly near future, remuneration to become more and more linked to executive compensation. Can, can senior execs start to see their bonus and their comp impacted? Maybe some people on the call um, on, the, on the webinar, um, impacted by sustainability goals. John, what are it's your already thoughts? It is already happening. I wouldn't say it's it's common, but it's already happening. And I know several um, just UK-listed businesses, FTSE companies, that have um, emissions targets linked up to the executive's um, LTIP programs. So, so absolutely. And I think as you start to align investor um um, goals, investor priorities with corporate goals and priorities, I think this is just going to just going to increase. And I think so it should. I mean, if a company signs up to do something, one of the best ways for making sure that it, it happens is that it's measured and managed and rewarded. That makes sense. 
Um, in just a minute, those that are on the webinar will see a poll pop up. We're interested in hearing uh, the views of the people who joined us today on whether their organizations currently have in place any financial incentives related to sustainability. Our, our survey suggests there's a wide range, but just interested in what, uh, what our guests um, are experiencing um, in, their, uh, in, in their organizations. While we let some of the results come through, Catherine, I'll turn the same question over to you um, from the standpoint of, of funds. And presumably there are opportunities mm -hmm. for even more overt remuneration to come from an investment community. It's maybe more obvious, but if you could talk a little bit about how that comes to play um, in, your, in your experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think what the what the private equity in industry has as an advantage is is a long history of quite successful remuneration um, schemes um, mm -hmm. in, in terms of making sure that management incentives are aligned with those of the of the fund. And so I think it's quite a natural extension in many ways to actually build sustainability into that if that is the fund's overall goal. I mean, you could imagine a fund that has its own um, sustainability targets and KPIs, and then it needs to make sure that those are trickled down and implemented at the level of every single portfolio company that it has. I think actually building that into executive pay and um, bonuses is a very logical way to to do that and to make sure that uh, it's it's top on the priority list. Great, thanks, Catherine. Okay, I'm going to end the poll. So if you haven't answered now, you have about two seconds to answer. Um, and I'll tell you the results and I'll read them out loud because as I said, this will be a webinar. And so there will be people who are only participating in an audio medium. So the question that we asked, does your organization currently have in place financial incentives related to sustainability? 57%, the, the great majority answered A, no sustainability related financial incentives are in place nor being considered. So a long way to go for over half of the organizations uh, represented by the people who've joined us live in the webinar today. 30% say that sustainability-related financial incentives are being considered or discussed, but nothing is in place yet. So just started the journey in discussion, but nothing, uh, nothing in place mm -hmm. so far. And then 8% said, C, we have sustainability-related incentives in select roles and functions, but nothing systematic or widespread. And then finally, D, 8%, we have clearly established sustainability-related financial incentives in place. Um, so an interesting distribution, uh, perhaps not surprising and not uh, out of line with our survey. But John, Catherine, any reaction to the distribution of, of answers to our poll question? It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think if we're having this conversation a couple of years time, it will change. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think just that 30% or kind of having those discussions already just goes to show that that this is something that, that is being considered that, that will be more widespread in, in a year, two years time. Yeah, no, it does seem to be kind of where you would expect in terms of the, the reported willingness, but embedding the capability and being ready to actually take action on the journey, that's, that's kind of where we are right now. So um, thanks very much, everyone. Um, for responding. Um, I want to turn us over to um, uh, John and Catherine, our own experience. I mean, we're out, we're engaging with, uh, with clients, you know, as we said, across the economy, um, across uh, the globe, different geographies. 
Um, and we said at the beginning, there's a high degree of variability in terms of organizational readiness on these issues. But I mean, John, I'll turn to you first. What are some of the things that you're seeing with our client organizations, um, the live discussions that you're having with the C-suite and senior executives? Um, and where have we been able to support some of these organizations and where do they need most help? Okay, Dave, thanks for that. Um, there's really a number of areas. I think, you know, I've touched on the themes uh, earlier. Um, certainly, sort of kind of at the top of the pile, which is, is helping organizations who are perhaps early in the journey or not yet really on board, um, build that vision and establish those goals for how sustainability fits in their strategy. Um, and so I think that is something that we do with boards. It's something to do with executive teams. Uh, and sometimes we do it with both in the same organization. So I think helping people get on that journey, having done that, then it's really about helping those, you know, helping them work through those strategic choices. Um, and, you know, I noticed that, you know, we did say that I think about half of the people that we spoke to indicated that they their organization was willing to uh, trade off short-term results against long-term goals and values. And, you know, there's an interesting example here is, is around um, – large uh, client in the transport space having to make some quite difficult decisions about when to establish a net zero goal. What was the date? How were they going to do it? How were they going to afford it? The accepted wisdom was, let's just push this out. This has got to be bad news. We're going to have lots of capex, lots of expense. This is going to be wrong. However, when you dug into it and you looked at the technology trajectories around certain types of fleet around the world, be that electric, be that hydrogen, be that different types of fuel cells. And you you dug into the outlook for OPEX, so operating expenditure, and the trade-off with CAPEX. Actually, there was a pretty clear value trade-off and actually a value benefit in moving earlier with some of those capital fleet decisions than would have been the case. And ordinarily, that would have been accelerating fleet purchase, so accelerating some forms of depreciation, which would have had an impact on the financial results. So that's an example where a pretty enlightened group didn't start out that way, but a pretty enlightened group said, we will, get, we will establish our net zero goals in a way that is, we believe, value creative for the business over the long term. So it's quite complicated. And those kind of trade-offs are not necessarily the trade-offs that the CFO and the finance team have necessarily had to deal with before because you're seeking to effectively, how do I monetize sometimes non-financial benefits in a way that allows um, you know, the decision to be made? Long answer, but it's a really interesting space. And we've been getting quite heavily involved in those kind of trade-offs. And it speaks right to LEK's quantitative heritage. Yeah. Well, John, thanks for that. And uh, I, I, I'll turn it to one of the questions that has popped up um, in the feed. And whoever asked this question gets a gold star because this is a question that we're, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were kind of anticipating and one that we have ourselves. And it, it has to do with that, um, that sacrificing near-term value. And John, I mean, what you've just described, I've heard you talk in that context about it's it's um, 
it's it's not the x-intercept it's the area under the curve that area being the value over time um but the question here which i get it says i find it very difficult for companies to sacrifice short-term results in order to invest long term you must have a very wealthy company and a very un and, and very understanding shareholders so john you just mentioned you know getting the cfo on board because the cfo you know, she might not be thinking about, you know, long-term versus short-term. That's one stakeholder that needs to be convinced, but there are shareholders as well. So what does a company need to do to get shareholders on board with what might feel like a very long-term, potentially academic um, trade-off that the, that the company is undertaking? Well, look, and it's not, it's not our area of specialty, but it's, I can tell you what I, I think it is. I think it's a very strong equity story. So if you can build your, um, your ESG strategy, your sustainability strategy to, in the heart of the business, and you can articulate how this is going to be good long-term for the group and, and what you're doing, that's the basis on which you can develop a strong equity story and ultimately see to, seek a re-rating. And we're beginning to see some of that in certain sectors where the most advantaged businesses and those that have made perhaps the, the difficult choices around balancing the short term with the long term are beginning to see some, you know, rating um, benefits, albeit we're in a fairly, um, we're in a fairly sort of volatile market at the moment. But, but I think, look, I, I think it's sort of, it's moving. Um, not all shareholders are going to listen. But I do think having that very clear narrative at a corporate level that explains why you're doing this and why this is in the long-term interests of the company and therefore shareholders is really, really important when it comes to sustainability. Thanks, John. Well, and Catherine, you've seen, not with publicly listed companies, but in your experience, what, what are what are the, the shareholder discussions and the value trade-off discussions? How does that manifest um, in, in private equity? Yeah, I mean, I think the advantage of private equity being in in obviously in, in the private context is that you don't have kind of that day to day scrutiny of the pub of that the public markets do, and so I think it does naturally lend itself perhaps slightly more to those longer term investment um, decisions. But I think there's obviously there's, there's still discussions around um, you know which which trade offs to make. I think it's easiest when it's actually built into the original investment thesis. And so yep. everyone is bought in into this is the story that we're going to take on, take the company on. Um, you know, these are the the choices that are going to have to be made. Um, it's it's harder, obviously, when when the investment's already been made and and people are saying, okay, this is where we should take the investment. But you know, all the points that have been mentioned already, I don't want to repeat, but but around the alignment and around yep. kind of building the fact base and and getting everyone behind the shared vision, I think all go some way towards helping to to achieve that. Great, thanks. Um, in case it's not clear, we've segued to the Q&A uh, section now because there's some really good questions coming in. Um, and another one, and Catherine, I'll put this to you to start off um, uh, very straightforwardly. How do we get companies to move beyond greenwashing? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a great question. Um, I think the, the, the answer to that is depth. So greenwashing, I think, has been a, able to be um, 
companies have been able to get away with greenwashing in the past because they've been able to put out statements regarding sustainability, but without necessarily needing to back it up with uh, the data, with with KPIs, with clear strategic plan to to actually show that they're doing something about sustainability. I think the more that we require companies to actually report on those KPIs and to show that progress, I think the more that we can get beyond sort of that superficial marketing spin on sustainability and actually towards something that is much more more deeply ingrained within within the company. So yes, I, I also think that it's it's becoming harder to do as customers uh, and employees and uh, and the general public are becoming more more just uh, more discerning. But I'd be very interested to hear if um if anyone else has thoughts on that as well. I mean, shareholders, uh, shareholders are not going to put up for it, right? I mean, you saw this with a very high-profile um, Europe, large European bank getting into a lot of trouble about greenwashing just recently. Um, that is only going to just dial up the, the focus of investors on making sure that their invested companies are playing playing by the book. And with the T- TCF, TCFD, with the Europe, the EU disclosure requirements, even the SEC coming in on the act, I think it's it's not going to be long before um, that sort of behavior just, it's just not going to be acceptable. And in fact, people are going to get into trouble and it's going to cost them a lot of money. So I, I, I hope, I think we are going to move quite rapidly from a period when perhaps greenwashing was acceptable to, to, to a new paradigm. Yeah. Well, I think just in the interest of time, I'll ask one more question, um, and it's a bit of a provocative one. So, John, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> and and uh, um, that's the notion that um, it says here, consultants tend to focus on their clients at the expense of themselves. Is LEK aligned on sustainability for, for ourselves? Well, it's an important question, right? And we've got to yeah. walk the talk. So... Uh, yes, we are. We're well advanced on our sustainability journey. We've made a number of commitments. Um, we've signed up to the United Nations Global Compact. I'm sure a number of people on this call have done the same. Um, we are moving towards um, having going through the full SPTI process, and we are establishing our broader ESG goals and a very clear roadmap. And we're going to link it all to the purpose of the business. And uh, I think we've got some really exciting things uh, for the business, employees, um, and the communities in which we work. And uh, I know those of us that have been involved in that are very excited about the future for the firm on that dimension. Thanks, John. Uh, We are just about coming to time, so let's move to conclude. Thanks again, everyone, for your engagement in the poll and the questions that you've submitted. Uh, really helpful and, um, and interesting to hear your perspectives. Catherine, uh, we've covered a lot in a relatively short period of time. Any final thoughts for today on what you would like the viewers to take away? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think for me, two points. One, we've talked a lot about how companies are starting to think more about sustainability from an innovation growth perspective, how their number one priority is developing green products and services. I think I just wanna also emphasize the challenges and the fact that this is not easy. And I know we've touched on those, you know, the lack of alignment, the the need for KPIs, but I think 
I don't want people to think, oh, it's just as simple as let's you know, let's capture value from sustainability as, as, as a kind of quick thing to do. It's it's a long process and it inevitably re requires tough decisions. But I think there are definitely are opportunities for companies to who who want to embark on on that journey. Um, and then that leads me to my second point, which we didn't cover a lot, but one thing I wanted to mention: talent. Um, as one of these actual levers by which companies can unlock value from sustainability. I think we're seeing just a huge shift in what employees are caring about um, and valuing in jobs. Um, I speak to quite a lot of people who are exploring their careers and mission, purpose, um, having a values aligned organization are all top priorities. Um, so I think having sustainability on the agenda uh, is gonna help organizations access um, recruit and retain this kind of talent uh, in the coming years. Surely. Thanks, Catherine. That makes sense. Um, John, same question to you. Final thoughts that you want to make sure to leave our viewers with? Uh, look, I think the alignment, we've said it very, very, very clearly. I think before you move too far down, down the journey, ensure that there is alignment with the chair and the chief executive and the C-suite and the board. And don't underestimate the importance of that. Once you have that alignment, a lot of this, a lot of the, lot of the next steps come come a li little bit, a little bit quicker. I wouldn't say it's easier, but a little bit quicker. And then the, the, the final, the final question would be about thinking hard about um, bringing your chosen ESG goals and factors into the development of alternative strategic choices for the business, and really seeking to assess those the benefits associated with them on a financial, non-financial benefit, uh, benefits in a very kind of systematic uh, and sophisticated way to help make those decisions. I think that's, and that's, that's challenging, but I think it's really helpful in underpinning the decisions in the direction of the business. Great. Thank you, John, for those final thoughts. And thanks to everyone again who joined us today on the webinar. Remember, the recorded version will arrive in your inbox via email with a link to this webinar. You can share that webinar. Please feel free to do so. This will also be available as a podcast in audio-only format on our website, which is lek.com slash insights slash podcasts. Um, you can also find other podcasts there uh, covering other topics. You can find uh, our landing page covering all things related to our sustainability strategy. There will be an announcement going up in the webinar uh, window that you'll see. But in addition, you can go to info.lek.com slash sustainability hyphen strategy. Um, but again, you'll have a link to download the report. So all the things that we covered that underpin the discussion today will be um, available to you. Please also feel free to contact any one of the three of us. I'm just pulling up our contact information here. Uh, contact us on LinkedIn. Um, and we'd be happy to talk. There are a few other questions that are coming into the chat. We really appreciate it. We'll capture those questions and, uh, and, and get back to the people who've asked them. We have the ability um, to, to chase those up. So um, thank you very much for your engagement. Uh, have an excellent day, and we hope to see you again shortly on another LEK webinar. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us today at the Insight Exchange. Presented by L.E.K. Consulting. Links to resources mentioned in this podcast can be found in the show notes. Please subscribe or follow for future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Also, we encourage you to submit your suggestions for future insights online at lek.com.